healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guests are Rob LeCuro and Amy Brandy from ScoutRx Pharmacy Consultants. Rob and Amy, welcome. Great to have you on the show. Good morning, Michael. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate you having us. These are uh, crazy times right now. We're in the middle of uh, a COVID-19 pandemic, which is already negatively impacting many businesses and people throughout the country. I think when we're through this, we'll be firmly in a recession. And I believe there's there's definitely going to be a return to uh, focus on cost control, which I think think makes uh, this interview timely. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do here on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you guys like to help with? Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's precisely the business that we've got in as far as you know, disrupting you know, what's going on in the current pharmacy uh, space. And especially in today's climate, there, there's going to be people looking for alternatives. And, and that's where we really help to fill that role. To get us started, uh, let me just read a brief bio about the two of you. So our audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to. Rob LeCuro is a partner and vice president of client development for ScoutRx Pharmacy Benefit Consultants. Rob and the other three founding partners formed ScoutRx with the singular goal of reinventing the self-funded pharmacy benefit space to eliminate needless bloat and provide groups and members the ability to control and maintain their prescription costs. Rob grew up in Metro Detroit area and attended University of Missouri. He currently lives in Windsor, Ontario with his wife and two young daughters. Amy Bandy is a partner and vice president of operations for ScoutRx Pharmacy Benefit Consultants. Amy has a long history working in a variety of pharmacy roles, including time in specialty pharmacy setting, compounding specialty medications, and IVs for an inpatient fusion facility. Prior to joining ScoutRx, Amy spent six years on the PBM side of the business, focused on client retention and member services. And outside of work, Amy loves to be outdoors and find new favorite places in her home state of Michigan, often dragging along her 16-year-old daughter who is just finishing her junior year of high school. All right. Anything else, you two? No, I think you uh, you pretty pretty much hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned. All right. And what about you, Amy? Yeah, that sounded good. That was a good uh, Scout RX in a nutshell. All right. Sounds good. All right. Rob and Amy, one of you has a financial services background and, and the other experience in pharmacy operations and, and PBM services. And I believe your third partner worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield in Michigan. So tell us what motivated you all to come together and launch Scout RX. Yeah, absolutely. We can uh, all address this and then give Amy the floor as well, too. I have the financial services background. And back in 2008, when we hit the recession in the housing market, I kind of transitioned over. And, and I, I myself worked with our president, Rich Van Prate, at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and kind of got into that uh, health insurance business. And, and really, from my standpoint, why I chose to get involved with this organization is, is from internally there from that side, I just saw that, that the focus was really on profit and really extracting as much as you can out of, out of the groups. And, and they, were, they were kind of left in the background as far as the process went. So being able to, to be involved with an organization that puts the focus back on the consumer as well as the group itself, 
uh, giving them the ability to control uh, and maintain their spend, as well as putting putting copays and, and out-of-pocket costs back in the members' pockets to reallocate to other ports of their life, was really something I felt passionate about. I just didn't like that the way that the industry was running with the status quo. So it was really an easy decision when when Rich, Amy, Anna, and myself kind of came up with this 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 platform or or different approach to the business that that we have. It really is is, is a focus back to you know, trying to provide a benefit for these small to mid-sized companies that really just don't have a voice in this industry in traditional PBM roles. Love that. Love that. What about you, Amy? So I think for me, with my background being more dealing on a, a member level and our fourth partner, Anna Wojciechowska, has a similar background as well. So we've kind of seen things evolve in the last 10 years or so where there's, there is all this bloat and this inflation around different parts of the pharmacy segment of coverage. And, you know, everyone's trying to figure out a way to manage that spend. And a lot of times it ends up falling on members where they have a larger cost share or suddenly there's a six-tier program, you know, there's, there's authorizations and step therapies and all these roadblocks for members to get what their doctor prescribed. So we've seen these pain points along the way and, and having, you know, Rich's background and Rob's background, it kind of just was a, a really well-rounded leadership team to, to get this off the ground. And, you know, as Rob said, of course, you know, we want to save employer groups money. Um, we would like to make money as well. That's, that's an expected outcome on both sides. But, you know, a lot of times the members are forgotten. And so it's a passion of mine to implement our programs from a more member-focused standpoint and, and really have them take advantage of the benefit that we're offering as well. I mean, you guys know this, no secret. We have a, a healthcare affordability crisis in the industry. And prescription drugs, specifically specialty drugs, are playing a larger role in that problem. Approximately 1% to 2% of all drugs dispensed are specialty meds, and they account for approximately 50% of our, our total spend, with the average specialty drug costing about $4,000 a month. And if you think about that cost, you know, with many people on high-deductible plans, that's a lot of cost exposure for your average American who's, who's just trying to, as you said, get the medication that their doctor prescribed for them. Tell us, what is your opinion? What do you think are the key issues with our current prescription drug delivery and payment system today? Yeah, I mean, at least at least from my standpoint, Michael, you, you hit the nail on the head. Specialty is, is a huge problem right now, and it really is hitting, you know, these self-funded small to mid-sized employer groups. You were completely accurate as far as we're concerned with the numbers. You know, it accounts for the fewest number of scripts that are written on any plan, but, but as you stated, you know, 50% of the cost could be taken up for that. You know, we saw Last year, it was a, right around a 7.1 increase from year to date. Uh, but over the last five years, specialty brand cost has risen 57%. And we're constantly seeing new specialty medications for disease states consistently rolling out. And there's really no new therapies that are entering the market to drive these costs down. You know, on top of that, you know, everybody, everybody in the PBM world is, is looking to tackle this specialty drug problem. Um, and they're, they're focused in on that. Um, but as you're going to learn, you know, a little bit more about what we do, we don't want to just limit that scope to specialty. Um, we're looking at all high-cost brand name as well, too, uh, and trying to find different avenues of approach to drive overall costs down and not just focus on a, a select number of specialties that are common in the marketplace, but really providing a solution to all those specialties as well as your high cost. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, really just speaking more towards what Rob said is is looking at the plan in general and then taking off just the very high cost medications. We're not going to get involved with some of the lower cost medications. And, you know, the program that we're going to talk about more has really been effective in, in lowering that cost by about 43% on average. Well, I, I think for anyone who's listening, that number is probably enticing. So, so let's get into that. <laughs> okay. So 
ScoutRx is not a pharmacy benefit manager or administrator. So please explain to our audience uh, the ScoutRx uh, product and service and specifically what problem you're trying to uh, attempting to solve for employers. Absolutely. So ScoutRx uh, Pharmacy Benefit Consultants, we have partnered uh, with a PBM to uh, run our program. And what we really have done is, is we've relegated the PBM to the processor role specifically. Uh, so we will use their claims adjudication system. We will use their uh, rebate aggregator and their retail network. Everything else is run through ScoutRx using what we call our core strategies. And what that is, is, is that really allows us to, to automate autonomous, autonomously away from the PBM and run our program to really focus and maximize the amount of savings that we'll be able to provide the plan and the member. So what we're really doing uh, with our approach is we feel, at least at ScholarX, at the current state of PBMs, uh, the system is really broken. Uh, there's been a, a focus on placing profit above care, uh, and a traditional model just really doesn't make sense in today's climate. And the reason for that is you know, we're consistently seeing increased utilization of specialty medications. There is a major problem with inflation. You know, these costs are continually year over year getting greater. Um, and the current PBM model really causes a lot of member disruption. We deal with, you know, in formulary exclusions and restrictive programs. And we've really put together a package that really minimizes that disruption to the member level while still providing that benefit of being able to provide the savings to the plan. That makes sense at a, at a high level, but I know that you guys, so you're working with the pharmacy benefit administrator where they're basically processing claims and you guys are, are overlaying that your specific strategy. So let's get into, you know, what are those those strategies that you're leveraging to you know, help employers save money? Absolutely. So we operate on, on, as I said, three core strategies, and that's our specialty pharmacy program, our copay optimization program, and our international pharmacy component. Uh, so I will go ahead and um, have Amy go ahead and introduce you to our, our specialty pharmacy program. She really lives in that space. Um, so if Amy, you want to give us a little bit of uh, insight into how that program operates. Absolutely. So speaking even to your last question, Michael, about what problem are we attempting to solve? I think a big one is accessibility. Accessibility to medications, accessibility to knowledgeable people who can fix issues on the front line. And that is where the first, the first core function here really comes into play. You know, especially medications are expensive. A lot of times they're excluded or they're thrown down on a really high tier with a very high copay. We had a member in a group who came on board with us one one and she had a script for a specialty med from September and just hadn't filled it because she couldn't afford her copay. Oh my so gosh. that kind of practice we find unacceptable. So what our first course strategy really does is we assist the member in whichever way we deem most appropriate for the group and for the situation to secure funding for that medication. So any paperwork that needs to be filled out, any communication with foundational assistance, those are all things that we do on behalf of the member. We initiate a phone call with them, have a conversation, let them know how the process works, what they can expect, and reassure them that throughout the whole process, they will not go without their medication. That will be paid for. And, you know, 85% of the time, we get that medication off the plan entirely, and members don't have any cost share whatsoever. So that is really important, again, speaking to accessibility to medications. Yeah, so let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Sure. So, so, you know, you said 85% of the time, you're basically saying that the, the member in the plan won't have any responsibility for costs. So how are you facilitating that? Well, that could be any number of things. It could be filling out paperwork to get accepted into a program that pays for the medication through, um, you know, a, a patient assistance program through the manufacturer. Sometimes it's working with a copay card and working with the manufacturer on that side of things. And as Rob mentioned, we have an international segment as well. 
if we have to utilize that, um, we would facilitate the relationship between the member and our international pharmacy. So it really okay. just depends on which bucket the situation falls into. Okay, but I, I want to specifically give our, our audience a little more information about the, the patient assistance programs, because I think that's probably something that's not on a lot of people's radars. So what are they? And why are the drug manufacturers offering this in the first place? And you know, how do people qualify? Sure. So what it is, it's a financially based program. So you do have to meet certain financial criteria to access these programs and be accepted. There's a range depending on the medication. A typical scenario is about $60,000 a year for one person. Add on a spouse or partner, it's about $100,000 with a $20,000 consideration for every dependent. So feasibly, a family of four can have an income around $140,000 a year and still qualify. If they're accepted into this program, the medication will be sent directly from the manufacturer to the member at no cost to them, and the manufacturer pays the entire cost that the plan would normally pick up. And they do this because they know the markup on their medication. The manufacturer knows what they're charging people for this medication. And in in the world of social media, they certainly don't want to be in the media for having an expensive medication that somebody can't afford, and now they're suffering you know, just because this medication is so costly. So what they've done is they've set up these foundations and they fund these for these situations for members that financially qualify. And so, you know, it's a good PR for them. I'm sure tax breaks pay a part of it. Um, but, but really, anybody that qualifies can tap into that. Wow. Fascinating. So this is essentially a charity program that, mm-hmm. you know, people can ap- apply for on their own. And I'm sure, I'm sure that happens, you know, for individuals who maybe don't have insurance. But if these programs exist why wouldn't traditional PBMs take advantage of them? I was just going to mention the member service standpoint um, and how we, we walk members through that. And um, Rob, I'll let you speak to the other side of it. But real quick on the member side, um, it used to be fairly straightforward. It didn't used to be such a cumbersome process. And yeah. we actually had a member in one of, our, one of our groups who tried to do it on his own and was denied. And then we came on board and you know, asked his permission to, to try again. And sure enough, we were able to get him approved. And I think it was a $5,000 a month medication that was no longer on the plan. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's something that we have become experts in doing and it is very manual and it is very cumbersome. And so that's something that we take, we take off the members. So they don't have the onus of completing this, this long drawn out, sometimes complex process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to, just to tack on your, your points, Michael. Uh, yes, we, we do. These programs are available for the, the millions of Americans that are out there that, that do not have insurance coverage. However, what we've seen, you know, with the exponential rise in the cost of these medications, uh, we have talked to a lot of, of, of employer groups uh, that are looking for solutions because they, they can't afford to administer their plan and provide the coverage for these specialty medications. So, you know, there are certain groups that I have talked to that are looking at excluding specialty altogether. So while you have coverage through your employer, it's not ideal. You're going to be in a situation where you're going to have to sacrifice care, look at alternative financing, things of that nature. So, so us stepping in and taking the subject matter expert role on that is, is the, the main motivation to be able to get those members the medication. Your question about the other PBMs, uh, I'll just be as, as blunt as I can about it. Your, your bigger traditional PBMs have no interest in playing in this space. Uh, number one, to roll a program out like this, this is very labor intensive. Um, there is a lot of heavy lifting that's done by Scout RX to get these members enrolled in these programs. It's a very hands-on approach. We, we kind of refer to it as a county heirs type service. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of that. For a, a traditional PBM to roll that out over their member base, it would be extremely labor intensive. And I'm not necessarily sure that they have the resources to be able to implement a program such as this. 
on top of that, PBM, big PBM drives a ton of their revenue by pushing these specialty medications through their own in-house pharmacies. From a financial incentive, it's just not there for them to play in this space. Well, and I think that's, that's more, more of what I was thinking. I mean, if you're a traditional PBM where you're employing the spread model and you know, they're making a ton of money off of increased utilization of specialty meds and even on their Wall Street calls, they'll be the first ones to say, Specialty is going to be, you know, the biggest driver of our, of our revenue. So I would imagine they don't have a lot of incentives to leverage these programs because that would probably mean losing revenue for themselves. Absolutely. And, and when you're looking at the bigger guys in the world or the big three, um, when they have their, their groups and their clients of these massive corporations that, that roll out these, you know, we, we refer to them in Michigan, you know, the big three is uh, the auto industries here. So we call them analog plans. Um, where their members are getting great benefits, that's all well and good, and the status quo can work for them. But when you're looking at these small to mid-sized companies that are family businesses, you know they just don't have the capital or the resources to be able to fit into that traditional model to cover the exponential cost of these uh, specialty medications. You know, if they have a hundred-dollar copay set for a specialty med, and, and just as Amy alluded to, you know they can cost about five thousand dollars a month. You take Humira for instance, you know that's a five thousand dollar a month medication. The member has a copay of $100, and sure, they may be able to afford that, but the plan is going to incur the additional $4,900 in a self-funded world. That's a massive hit to their bottom line. So going with a traditional model, it's not nimble enough, and it's not reactive enough for the times that we're in right now. If you're looking to leverage the patient assistance programs, I mean, realistically, that can't be done if the drug is covered under the plan. So, I mean, what are the logistics from a plan administration standpoint, to be able to take advantage of that. Absolutely. So, so to be able to get enrolled in these programs, um, we, you know, we have to, to, to meet the eligibility requirements of the manufacturers. And, and really what you do in a situation like that is we don't want to get away too much of the secret sauce here, so to speak, but, but you really have to take advantage of, of making medications not formulary. And that being said, we're, we're in a self-funded space, so, so the member is never going to go without their medication. We will utilize um, for that 15% of the membership base that would not qualify for this that are specialty users. As Amy alluded to, you know, we will use the copay optimization program, or we will direct members to the international pharmacy to realize savings in that case. So the member is always going with, with their medication. They're never going without, and we're always trying to provide a value to the plan as well. Great. So I, I want to move on to the next one. You just mentioned uh, the other two. So copay optimization and international pharmacy. So let's talk about copay optimization. How does that work? Sure. I, I can do copay optimization and I'll leave uh, international for Amy because she loves that one. But uh, <laughs> with the copay optimization program, what we're doing, again, is we're, we're leaning on the manufacturers to do their part. So what we're doing is, is we're taking advantage of the copay cards that are available through the manufacturers directly. Now, we've all been you know, watching Sunday afternoon news programs or sporting events, and, and they're littered with these commercials for these medications. And if you pay close attention, if they don't say it outright, it's at least in the script at the end. We'll say, contact us for assistance on how to pay for your medication. So what they're promoting is they're promoting these copay cards that are available. Now, unlike the patient assistance programs, these are available to everybody. There's no barrier of entry as far as income level goes. Anybody can get them. A lot of PBMs are starting to get into this space where they're trying to utilize these cards to provide uh, assistance. But where we really feel they're falling short is they're limiting their scope to a certain select number of specialty medications. Where ScotRx really kind of makes a difference is we will look at any specialty user that doesn't qualify for that core strategy one we talked about, 
Mm-hmm. But we've expanded the scope of coverage to include all high-cost brand name medications as well. Um, we won't say never because as soon as we do, it'll happen. But we have yet to come across a specialty or high-cost brand name drug that does not have one of these cards available. So what we do, uh, I mean, this is where that that partnership with the PBM is important. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's a very hands-on approach. We we do a lot. We do all of this behind the scenes. We we do not put any burden onto the member themselves. We will get them enrolled in the card. We will get it sent to the pharmacy. We'll instruct the pharmacy on how to correctly apply it, and then we will make adjust, necessary adjustments in the back of the house to make sure that it all balances out and the savings are passed on to the plan of the member. So essentially, you're leveraging the available coupon whatever that dollar amount is towards the, the total cost of the drug. So can you just give Correct. me you know, a, a random example of, you know, what the retail cost of that drug might be and then what the value of the coupon might be? Well, one off the top of my head is, is we'll talk about Latuda. Uh, Latuda for a monthly supply is $1,200. In a traditional PBM setting, they'd have that $50 copay or whatever the plan set for them. And then the plan would have to pick up that other 11 so we know that Latuda has a copay card available for around $600 a month. So in that instance, we will get that card set up. We'll get it sent to the pharmacy, and then we'll make the adjustments to the member copay so that they're paying the $50 copay that they're set to pay as the plan wants them to pay. But we pass the savings on that copay onto the plan, so they realize now they only have to pay $550 as opposed to the additional $1,150. Now, that's just one example. There are plenty of drugs out there that have really, really lucrative copay cards available where mm-hmm. we can lim- you know, provide that plan savings as well and also reduce the member's copay or outright eliminate it altogether. Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so in that case, the employee's copay stays the same, but the plan just realized really 50% savings on what they would have otherwise paid. Correct. Now, the worst case scenario in this, in, in this example is the, is the member pays their copay as the plan had intended them to pay. They will never pay more. But as we said, there are many cases where the member's not going to make a copay as well. And so is that up to the employer to decide on that from an administration standpoint that, you know, let's, you know, when... It's generally, it's, it's generally driven by the value of the card provided by the manufacturer. Okay. Got it. So, so if the, okay. That makes sense. So let's move on to, I mean, you, you also mentioned this, that whole process is invisible to the employee, right? Happens all behind the scenes. So all, all they know Correct. is they're, they're going to the pharmacy and, you know, they're still paying their regular copay. Yep. And, uh, except in those situations where we have those very valuable cards and, you know, they make it to the pharmacy and, and the pharmacist provides their medication and there's no copay needed. Yep. Got it. Uh, but you're, you're correct. It is all done back of the house. It, it's controlled and it lives with Scott RX. Um, we do not disrupt the member at any point. Got it. And then uh, let's move on to international pharmacy. So, Describe the process of, of how this works uh, logistically. So this one is really my baby. I love this program. I think this is such a value to everybody involved. Because of that partnership Rob referenced with our PBM partner, we have access to every claim. So typically these opportunities are identified retroactively, usually after that first fill. Um, but we'll see a claim come through for, um, again, a high cost brand medication. So not the generics, we're not looking at those, just those high cost brands. And this can also apply to specialty. So we have a a partner pharmacy in Vancouver and they have been an absolutely fantastic partner to us. They have solved problems we didn't even see coming. They've been absolutely fantastic. And what they can do is they are able to, it's it's a mail order pharmacy. So they can ship a 90 day supply of the medications that qualify directly to the members. And, you know, we we all know the landscape of of drug costs in the US versus, versus in Canada. And um, the, the bottom line is they're significantly less expensive there. 
So the group is automatically saving on their bottom line. And as an incentive to get members to enroll in this program, they're offering these medications at a $0 copay. So what this really looks like is once we've identified the opportunity, we'll contact the member. And it is, all they have to do is pick up the phone. Uh, it's very quick to get them enrolled. And then um, the pharmacy contacts them after that for, the, they'll check in on refills. They'll provide them all of the shipping and tracking information. So it's, it's very automated after that first initial phone call with Scout. So we get them enrolled. The pharmacy gets the prescription from their physician, sends it out every 90 days. This pharmacy can ship specialty medications as well as refrigerated medications, which is distinctive from any other program we've seen with an international pharmacy. And when you, when you think of, again, specialty, and then typically right behind that is diabetic spend. So when we think of those insulin-dependent diabetics, this program is extremely valuable. I, I had a family um, with one of our groups. It was a family of five. Three kids had asthma and both parents were diabetics and they had a $50 copay. So one med for each of them was $250 a month. They were no longer paying. Wow, that's, mm -hmm. incre that's incredible. So, so it's voluntary mail order. You guys, see, you guys see it in the system. You do an outreach phone call and say, hey, you know, we have the opportunity to get you your medications at $0 copay give us a call back or, you know, let's have a conversation and you get them enrolled. And once they're enrolled, it just, uh, you know, works like a regular mail order, except it's, it coming, does. From, except it's coming from Canada. Of course, there's some people that are hesitant. We work with a lot of Taft-Hartley and a lot of unions and they're very pro, pro U.S. and they're very hesitant. And we explain the benefit to their employer and how much money stays in the employer's pocket. And, you know, we, we go through all of the the reassurances that we, even we needed when we developed this partnership, you know, we went there and visited their base of operations and they are a retail pharmacy. They're not a broker. They're not warehousing medications. Everything's mm -hmm. monitored by Health Canada, which is equivalent to the FDA here. Um, the distribution channels are the same as medications coming into the U.S. So nothing's being sourced, um, you know, from a tier three and four location. Um, so those are all questions that we needed reassurance on as well. So we can completely understand you know, when a member expresses a certain amount of hesitancy. And, um, you know, bottom line is we found once, once they try it, we've never had somebody say, you know what, this isn't for me. I don't like saving this money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and fill at my local pharmacy. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine that uh, that family uh, would want to go back and pay mm -hmm. two, $250 a month. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I just, just want to jump in. I, I do like to uh, throw a little bit of a personal anecdote when we talk about international um, as you stated in my bio, I actually live uh, in Windsor, Ontario, uh, and just on the other side of the Detroit border in Canada. My father uh, still lives in the Detroit area, and he is an insulin diabetic, and he's on Medicare. My father comes across the border once a month uh, to a retail pharmacy exactly the same um, as our partner that we use, uh, and he gets his, his insulin at the pharmacy here in my town uh, and then personally imports it back across the border because even on Medicare, the amount of money that he's able to save by getting it through Canada is, is exponentially greater than even what he's paying on Medicare. And our ability to really, you know, kind of take that luxury of living in a border city and, and coming over and getting your medication in Canada and expanding that out to, to you know, landlocked states or, or place, places throughout the country where that's just not necessarily an option um, is, is really a motivating factor to be able to provide uh, to these members. We've heard way too many stories, and, and Michael, I'm sure you've heard these too, where you know, a member's deciding to take their diabetic medication or their heart medication because they can't afford to copay for both. And that, that's just, that's just it's, it's just simply unacceptable in our standpoint. Um, so being able to, to kind of expand that out, I mean, we're, we're going, I'm going through it today, you know, with the COVID-19 crisis, the border here is, is shut down. 
Um, so all non-essential travel is, is, is banned currently. Yep. So my dad doesn't have the ability to hop in that car and come over and get it. So I'm actually in the process of getting him set up with our international pharmacy partner to get those medications shipped to him directly. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys have brought up a couple of things that I, I want to, to make some additional comments on. If I'm an employer and, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, offering this, I mean, you know, how do I ensure quality and safety of the drugs being delivered from Canada? And then two, you know, can you speak to the legality of importing drugs from Canada, you know, into the U.S.? Yeah, we can certainly address those. And, and as Amy stated, the key with our program and how we really felt we're kind of on the tip of the spear of this is, is the utilization of a retail pharmacy. You know, mm-hmm. that brick and mortar pharmacy, a lot of companies that are using international options, they're using brokers. Um, KRX is a big one. They're in my backyard here in Windsor, so I'm very familiar with them. The problem with these, as Amy put them, you know, Costco's for pills, is there's no regulation on brokers in Canada. They can mm-hmm. source their medication from any corner of the globe that they want to that is going to get them the cheapest price point. So by using a retail pharmacy, they are regulated by Health Canada, that, that U.S. or Canadian equivalency of the FDA. Their distribution channels are tightly monitored. So the medications that we are sourcing out of there come from the same manufacturing facilities as if you were to get them domestically. So the right. quality of medication that we are providing for our members is on par with what they would get at their local pharmacy, and that is a key for us. As to the legality, Again, as you stated, this is a voluntary program. We will strongly suggest if the cost savings are there that a member utilize this, but we by no means mandate it. That is where we've seen a lot of plans and PBMs get in trouble with our offering is they will say you can get your first bill domestically, but then you have to go to our broker. And that, that is where you're going to run afoul of the FDA. Mm-hmm. We make it an optional program and we do it under personal importation. So currently, and this can be verified on the FDA website, they are allowing members or individuals to personally import a 90-day supply of their medication for personal use without incurring any enforcement actions. It's actually been this way as far as back as I can remember when I got into the industry based five or seven years ago. But by using it as personal importation and not mandating it, that is how we are staying compliant with currently what's available for members to utilize. Perfect. Perfect. I think, I think anyone who's listening and interested would, would, uh, you know, would want to hear that. I want to go back to the fact that you're, you're not a PBM, but you're, you're leveraging the services of one. Can you talk to us a little bit about that PBM partner of yours? Is it a pass-through or, or traditional model? I mean, how are they compensated? Yes. So we are using a PBM by the name of ProAct, P-R-O-A-C-T. They're out of Syracuse, New York. They've been around about 20 years now. They are really interested in being on the forefront of innovation. They they were like-minded individuals who saw that the landscape is changing. Uh, There are more and more people that are looking for disruptive programs uh, to provide uh, a tool for them to to retain uh, and bring in new business. Uh, So it has been a very beneficial partnership with them. They do operate on a true pass-through model as far as we're concerned with them. Um, So when utilizing ScoutRx ProAct uh, in the uh, processing role, um, they will charge a per net paid claim administration fee and everything else is passed through to the group. Amy, I think you may have mentioned this earlier in, in the discussion. For a typical employer, when all three of these strategies are deployed, what's the typical savings that they can expect relative to you know, what their current you know, spend is today? And how does that impact RX inflation on an ongoing basis? So it really depends on on what exactly is in the mix. Um, We have groups that have, you know, a 96% generic utilization rate, and we're still able to save over $100,000 that first year. 
So it really depends. The, the range we've had in first year results are anywhere from 16% on up over 70%. So you're seeing an average of about 43. Again, big numbers, very, very big claims here. And that's first year coming from their other PBM. Second year savings, how, how to address the question of how does, it, how does it help curb that trend is even in the second year, because we're able to get so many of those specialty medications off the plan, they're not even contributing to any inflation. So our programs run continuously. And even in the second year, not only are we, you know, reducing that trend or negating that trend, we're often bending it the other way. So sometimes groups are still seeing two, three, four, five percent savings in the second year. Just to piggyback on that, you know, that really is the philosophy behind what we do. We feel in, in the PBM world right now, everything is focused on, on discounts, on discounts, rebates, discounts, rebates. That's all anybody wants to talk about. But we really feel that it's an antiquated model. It's, it's a short term solution to a very long term problem. Um, you know, if you went from a discount of 15% of, of, uh, with your current PBM and moved to one of the big guys and you got a 20% discount, yeah, you're saving yourself a, a considerable amount of money in that first 12 months. But what you've done is you solve for that discount and you've done nothing to account for that typical standard inflationary trend in the industry. So yeah. when that cost of that, uh, those medications rise, you know, let's just say it's a $500 medication, you know, your discount with that 20%, you're getting $400 now. If it's a 10% increase, it's going to 550. You're now paying 440. If you look back to where you were before you even started to switch, you're behind the eight ball again. You're continually in this hamster wheel. You're, you're, you're using the old quote of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So when we utilize these core strategies, we, we drive away from focusing on that discount and focusing on cost containment. That's how you're able to see those dramatic reductions in spend, as well as that tool that allows you to, to keep that trend in single digits. And as Amy said, a lot of times we're providing a negative trend moving forward with our groups. So it's just a complete divergence in the way we approach the value proposition. One of the things we haven't talked about is, is fees. So how do you guys uh, get paid? And do you have any performance guarantees around uh, lowering net drug costs on a PMPM basis? So we, we, we've kind of uh, driven away from a PMPM. We, we, we focus, we work specifically, when we built this model, we really wanted to focus on showing our work or, or providing a value and aligning ourselves with the interests of the group. So if the group is not succeeding under our platform, then we don't feel we have the right to succeed. So what we do is we do work off a of percentage of savings. Um, so with that being said, we believe in, in that ugly 12-letter word that a lot of people like to use, but they don't stand behind, <laughs> which is transparency. Um, we provide monthly reporting to the groups that will line out every individual claim that touches our hands or that our hands touch. So we, we'll provide reporting that will say, you know, member John Smith had medication X. This was the retail cost of that medication. This is the core strategy we utilized to reduce that for you. So this is the amount that you paid. This is what you saved, and this is the percentage we made off of that saving. So there's never any question as to where to the penny we're driving our revenue from. Now, we do charge that percentage of savings. It is on a per-fill basis. So with our specialty program, if a member is on that medication for 24 months, we've handled the enrollment in the program. We've handled an annual re-enrollment. At that point in time, we will reduce the percentage of savings that we take off of that. Mm -hmm. And then for core strategy two and three, it's a set percentage of savings in perpetuity, but it is on a per-fill basis. So there is no, hey, this is your total spend. This is the percentage we reduced it by. This is what we're taking. We do it line by line, claim by claim. So if for whatever reason, a member comes off that medication, no longer uses it, leaves the plan, our charges on those cease. 
And so, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not saving people money, you're not making money. Right. No, and essentially that is our service guarantee right there. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so who is this a good fit for? Um, and who is this not a good fit for? Do you guys have any, any specific, you know, target market that you're, you're looking to serve or not serve? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, at least from, from demographic group, as Amy kind of alluded to before, we work a lot in uh, the, the municipality and government space. Um, we are a really good fit for unions and Taft-Hartley organizations. Um, as far as the traditional employer groups, um, we see a lot of attraction with manufacturing, things of that nature. There really isn't a specific company. Um, we are there to provide a value for these small to mid-sized self-funded groups that we feel are, are being ignored in the marketplace. So we really we don't have a bare minimum of members we'll take on, but we try to stay within that you know 2,000 employee mark. Anything over than over that, you know, the groups get a little bit big, and, and the focus is a little bit more on, on what you would do with a traditional model. Um, as far as, as as structure of plans, I'll let Amy speak to types of, of, of configurations of plan that, that may present challenges for us. Sure. So as Rob said, when we get into some of the larger groups, you know, we can't maintain the integrity of the program. It is very manual. It is labor intensive. Um, so generally anything above, um, you know, 2000 employees, we have to take a close look at. Um, but as far as group structure, you know, HSAs are a challenge to us. If, if there's a TPA in place, that definitely um, makes it workable. Um, this does definitely work best with PPOs, um, mm-hmm. depending on, on which market we're in. Um, you know, if they're, if they're coming from a fully insured product and looking to carve that out, you know, there's different fees, different, con- you know, there's a bunch of different stuff to look at. So, you know, best case scenario, it's, it's an existing carve out PPO, you know, anywhere from minimum carve out to 2000 employees, that's perfect. And then sometimes, you know, we get those outliers where it might be the plan has an HSA component and a, a PPO component and there is a TPA involved or there's not a TPA involved. So really it just, it, it sets up a different, you know, a different set of questions we have to look at, you know, anything, anything less than 2000 employees and, uh, you know, a TPA involved if there's an HSA and that makes it workable for us. All right. Yeah. I think with the, with the HSAs and the qualified high deductible plans, they were all the rage for a while. But I think as, as, as the test of time is starting to prove, they, they are not necessarily the beneficial plans for your, for your employees. So at least, you know, in our projections, we, we advise and we, we think, uh, you know, that there's going to start to be a trend to move away from those types of programs. Um, and then, you know, being able to offer our services when they decide to make a switch, um, you know, is obviously a beneficial factor. But, but AIM is correct. You know, they can present challenges and, and we just don't feel that they're the best structure for groups as it is anyways. If there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? I'll, I'll jump in with one. <laughs> I, I think I've got a good one. I'll let you go first. One, one of the things I like to talk about is, is you know, what is, the, what is the worst case scenario if somebody were to move to an innovative platform such as yours? Um, you know, we get, we get the objection a lot that the 43% is too good to be true. And we also hear a lot that this is different than what people are traditionally seeing. This is very out of the box, and it, it is it is very hard to wrap your head around sometimes. So, um, to take a chance and, and go with an innovative platform and, and really try to disrupt the system, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? Uh, and, and from a group standpoint, and and what we like to say is, is if we were to tell you all of these core strategies, and for some reason. Um, this would never happen, but if it did, let's just say it did, if everything fell apart and nothing we said with our core strategies was able to work, we weren't able to get the specialty members enrolled, the copay cards weren't working, the international pharmacy stopped or, or yep. whatever, 
the worst case thing that's going to happen is because we operate with that pass-through PBM, you're going to be in the same exact position you are now with a current PBM that you're facing. There is nowhere to go with your spend but down with coming on board with us. I like it. All right, Amy, what about you? Mine, mine was kind of, kind of similar to Rob's, but really we just had a call today actually about the obstacle for, for coming with Scout and what roadblocks do we see. And the biggest one is people write it off as clickbait or it's just too good to be true. And they really expect it to be more complex than it is. And we found that the bar is, is pretty low and people are pretty doubtful of a, of a solution that's brought to the table. Um, I feel like, again, rebates and discounts are, are, have been hammered into people for so long. It's, it's really hard to expect them to step out of that box and, and look at what we're offering and, and give it the time to understand it. So I, I yeah. think that uh, the biggest roadblock we see is, is it's just too good to be true. And uh, it's not. And it is something that we, we are able to provide and also prove. I, I don't like the word transparency, but again, um, we are transparent. I actually hate saying that. I feel like so many people have used it and abused it that everyone just rolls their eyes when they hear it now. But, um, you know, it's, that's the fact of the matter. Is it something that we are able to provide and something that, you know, we're able to back up 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think probably, you know, maybe, maybe some people would be concerned about the member experience, but I mean, I think here's a question that maybe I, I should have asked. I mean, you guys are, are a relatively new company. I mean, you, you launched, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, last year in 2019. So, I mean, how many employers, you know, have you implemented um, the services so far? Um, we're right around a dozen now um, with more lined up throughout the year. And for even one, one, we have a lineup for one, one next year. The concept has been proven in different places mm -hmm. in the market. The name might be new, but the people doing it and the, you know, the methodology around it is not new. And I think that's a great benefit is, you know, it's, there's expertise involved that isn't found anywhere else. So again, you know, it's Scout RX hasn't been around very long, but the leadership team are, are a bunch of old hands. Yeah. Just to, just to piggyback on that uh, <clears throat> to add, we took we, we developed this concept a few years back, and we formed a division um, under a parent organization, um, and it was incredibly successful. And we, we basically took this to market and, and proof of concept it, um, and had incredible results. With those results came um, some different viewpoints as to as to the direction of the business, mm -hmm. and we were really really focused on keeping this group and member focused. Um, so so at that point, you know, we kind of put these programs together and found a way to make them all work seamlessly to provide, you know, that one targeted solution. So at that point we decided, you know, we've put our, we put the blood, sweat and tears into this, so to speak, you know, why don't we control our own destiny? So we, we branched out in 2019 and formed our own organization, uh, but this is not a new program. We, we the four people that, that founded this company um, have been running this for a number of years now. Um, and we have implemented certain parts of this program at other stops in our careers and really just put it all together, uh, tested it, uh, and then just, just decided to hang our own shingle, so to speak. So uh, while, while the brand is new itself, uh, the programs and, and success and track record that we've established is not. At the end of the day, where innovation is involved, you know, somebody's got to, you know, do it and put themselves out there. And so uh, I appreciate what you guys are, are doing in the marketplace. Amy, to your point, you know, what's the obstacle? You know, I imagine anyone who's interested would be able to talk to one of your current customers and see how their 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 members feel about uh, you know having their uh, their uh, cost share decrease and and uh, you know seeing some savings. Absolutely, we definitely have um, you know some some references in place that are happy to speak to their experience. Gosh, this has been a great discussion. You guys really appreciate you uh, spending some time 
with me for our audience. How can people interested in the Scout RX uh, service uh, get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can go to our website directly at www.scoutrxconsulting.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Scout underscore RX. And you can follow us on LinkedIn uh, as well at, at, at Scout RX. You know, members can call me directly at 586-353-8106 with people who are interested in our service as well as our existing member base. Uh, we try to be with the times uh, and, and communicate with people how they're comfortable communicating. Uh, you can always reach us by phone. You can reach us by email. Uh, we even have the capability on all of our office lines to accept text messages. Um, so, you know, short of sending a smoke signal or Pony Express, we're, we're, we're pretty accessible to anybody who wants to talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedules to join us. Really enjoyed it. And uh, to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Scout Rx's website and contact information. Lastly, if you're enjoying the content on the show, do us a favor, take five seconds today, open up the podcast app on your phone, go to our show's page and scroll down to the bottom and let us know what you think with a review. Thanks again, stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.